We pray. Father, as we come together today, we pray that you would make us uncomfortable. We pray that you would take us out of a spot of wanting the ways that we see the world having to happen for us, that we would see instead the working of your hand, that we would understand ourselves in a unique and different way because it's not a matter of not only how we've been wired and we are needed, but the fact that we put in this context and this time that we are needed for this time. Lord, we perhaps can't take on the life of Jeremiah who was thrown so far from what he ever would have thought or expected, but we know, Lord, that in these days we are feeling ourselves a little pulled apart, trying to figure out how to fit, where to fit, what's life, what's happening in life, and where do we go from here. So we ask, Lord, that you remind us through Jeremiah today that we were made for this moment and made for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jeremiah, oh my, oh my, are we in for it today? Because as we look at Jeremiah, can't help but think back to last week. So if you were last back here last week, congratulations for showing up again this week because if Pastor Ted didn't have you on the edge of insanity, uh, perhaps today will because last week we were talking about AI, which was artificial intelligence, which for this boy who used to be on farms, and I apologize, but the only AI I ever saw when I was a kid growing up was at my grandparents' farm, and that was artificial insemination. <laughs> if you don't know what that is, ask somebody who doesn't want to tell you anyway. Oh, anyway, so AI, and you start getting into the whole idea of artificial insemination, or no, sorry, intelligence, that's right, intelligence, and you start getting into the whole idea of the shifts that we're seeing in technology. It frankly could drive us into several places. You know, you can just hold up and say, I don't want to know, I don't want to care about this, and go hide away. Or we can get so immersed in the things themselves that we get lost in this new culture, in this new time, in this new way of things that are going, and we lose connection with God, we lose contact with people, and we lose sight of what God is doing even in this time. Or we can embrace this, and we're going to talk about this a little bit today. We can embrace what God is doing and realize, even though we may talk about the good old days, God didn't put us into the good old days. And if we're really frank, all those days weren't all that good as we always think anyway. Except, a lot of times what we think about when we go to the good old days is a sense of comfort because we knew what to expect. And probably if you're like me, here's the thing that's challenging is that things keep changing so fast. Things keep flying by us so quickly and oftentimes by the time we feel that find out that something is either bad for you or good for you or that there's unintended consequences we're already knee-deep in having gotten sucked into something that we go, oh my goodness, this isn't so good. This week alone, I saw more posts uh, by people who have children a little older just asking and begging parents who have the younger children is please don't give in to giving your children screens too early. And it's mostly under the guise of, well, we figured it out too late. Not because screens and tablets and telephones themselves are bad, but the, the fact what they've seen is their children's wiring, their ability to connect with society. Uh, even a, a paper my wife was telling me about was talking about the fact that children growing up in this screened age, uh, just to kind of narrow it down, have a hard time picking up on facial and social cues. 
So that which is good, a good tool, sometimes in the hands of those who are too young and too much, can cause problems. How do we consider ourselves in a timely place? How do we identify as Christians as folks who are living in this age? And you might say there were the good old days, but let me tell you about Jeremiah. Jeremiah is one of these guys as he comes along and as he's living his life out that things are quickly undergoing change as well. The changes that he's seeing is that they had been under great uh, control. They had been under other ones and that the, the, the land of Judah was just out of sorts and in chaos. And now this is actually as he begins his ministry a time of economic strength, a time of political strength, a time of being left alone because things were working out right in the rest of the world where others were fighting with each other. It was kind of giving them a time of peace. And you'd think in that kind of case, you'd like to come along and say, hey, it's all good. Make Judah mean something again, great again. That's the message. But instead, Jeremiah is called and comes into this as one who instead is saying, folks, watch yourselves. Now, when things are going well and someone says, watch yourselves, you're not doing as well as you think, you need to repent and you need to respond to the Word of God, and things are going well, you people say, what do you mean? And during the lifetime of Jeremiah, we go from him coming into the strength of Judah, returning to it being taken out from underneath him, them and Jeremiah himself being exiled to Egypt and probably dying there. All the way he must have been saying to himself, what could I have done different when the Lord came to me? Now if you have your bowls and you can look at this too, but uh, these are the words that are kind of the formative piece for us today and we'll refer to the other parts of Jeremiah, but you see these words here? Well, in fact, make sure you can find it. You can read along with me, okay? So we're going to read there. Jeremiah 1, 4 to 5. Please read it with me. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. I know you could cheat and look up there, but I want you to look in the bulletin anyway. Jeremiah, of all things, is being approached by God and saying, and it's interesting because the pronouns here, because we see God who continues to focus on what he is doing, but also object, the object of this is Jeremiah because he says, I formed you, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. There's something very intentional about God in every place and time, and here in Jeremiah's life, we see him being called and him coming to this place. Our God, it says, knew him. God knew him. You know, Jeremiah's calling, why he mattered is no different than why you and I matter in this time today. And God, what does he say? He said, I knew you. Now, the word know in the Old Testament has such a depth to it that we don't often feel. I think we kind of, you know, we think of new, like, kind of like we think about friends on Facebook. That's my friend. 
well, you may or may not even know who that friend is. You may barely remember them being in a locker down the hallway from you at high school. They may be somebody you run across who's a friend of a friend of a friend, and because you know them, they know you, and you still can't figure out who they are. The Old Testament uses the word know in many ways. It's used in a very intense way when it comes to Adam and Eve, and it says Adam knew his wife it has a sexual connotation, but it has more than that. It has a connotation of being fully transparent, fully engaged, fully and in, including the physical side of their relationship, that that part of what God had created, that knowledge there was one that included also then the creation of the next human being. But in this case, to say God knew him, we can see this because God was part of his creation. God was the one who knew him and prepared him even before, as Pastor Ted said earlier, even before he was known to be in the womb, God knew him. And that just blows my mind because to know someone so intimately, to know about someone, and to realize that God has that focus within the whole scheme of things, the whole universe, the whole pieces of everything that's going on, that God can say about Jeremiah, I knew you. And you know what? When you really know somebody, you know everything about them. You know their strengths and you know their failings. God didn't have to find out that Jeremiah was uncomfortable getting up and talking in public. He knew him. And it was not despite that, but it was because of that that God then set him aside. He set him aside. He uses these word, types of words, before I formed you, I knew you. I consecrated you, that is, I, I, I put you in a, for, aside for a special purpose. I set you aside. I saw your life, and as it would unfold, that your life would be used by me. And you know what? When you really know somebody, when you're setting them aside and you see them, this is the hard part about arguing with God. You say, well, but, and he says, well, I, I knew that. I knew that. And the one thing is about God, in here he doesn't bring up Jeremiah's deficiencies. He's not concerned at all about those. In fact, it seems as though God looks at his deficiencies and knows him so much, he knows exactly how we will leverage, how God will leverage and utilize those deficiencies. You know, sometimes it's a little scary when you have someone who depends in life completely on their oratory skills or completely on their ability to influence the salesman among us because We've all been in that place where someone can sell sand in a desert and you kind of lack trust in what's being said. You want to know what the content is. What is the piece that's there? What is the reality? What is the essence? And God would point out through Jeremiah that the essence was complete because it wasn't in the efficiency of Jeremiah but the deficiencies of Jeremiah. And God promises him this also, that he will empower him, that he will be the power by which Jeremiah can step forth. So as he says, before I formed you in one, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you. And even though he says, oh, Lord God, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a young person. How often have we pointed to our age? 
I'm too young to do this, I'm too old to do this. God says, don't say I'm only a, you're only a youth. Don't say you're retired now. Don't say it's beyond your years. Don't say that you're too young to get started. Whatever he would have thrown out, he did not worry about that. He says, whatever I command you, you shall speak. He becomes his life and his words an expression of what God declares. And he even says that, you will do that, declares the Lord. And then he does this. He reaches out his hands and he touches his mouth. And he says, Behold, I will put my words in your mouth. See, I've set you this day over nations, over kingdoms, to pluck and to break down, to destroy and to overflow, overthrow, to build and to plant. Now, he's a prophet, and I know we say, Oh, my goodness, prophets, those must have been special people. No, they were regular people who were called because they were needed, but also needed at the right time. This uh, gentleman who writes this, The Fate of a Prophet, not a Christian gentleman, but he was writing about as a Jewish writer and thought maker of, of this and, and thinking about Jeremiah, he says, however, there's another criterion for a true prophet. prophet. He must love his people even when the harshest reproach is called for, the prophet must consider himself a divine emissary whose role is to help redeem the people, not to stand aloof and condemned and condemn. Indeed, journalists today take on the role of moral and social critics, though more often than not their criticism is laced with a venom of loathing. Just think about Jeremiah if his stance was one of loathing of the people versus what God touched into his mouth, which was the love of the people. I want you to step into Jeremiah's shoes for a moment and, and not only imagine his fear that he expresses, but think during his lifetime when he's sharing the word of God, when he's taking when the good moments are there and he's saying, but, and those are not popular words to say, but when we're feeling so good about ourselves. How do you respond when people push back and they say, you have nothing to say to us? How do you also provide comfort when everything that you've said has been ignored and now the whole country goes down the tubes? If he's like you and me, he would take what I would call the mother's position. I told you so. And yet Jeremiah did not change in his stance. He did not change in his words because it was not about his feelings, his emotions, or his desire for what would be even the government on earth at that time, what his desire was to turn people's hearts to the Lord. So why are you and I brought to this time? What is it about this time when for some of us we might be having our heads just blown wide open because the change of what to do have you ever been in this situation where you get all excited about the fact that you're going to have, uh, you know, new TVs? I'll tell a little story on my parents because this is how things worked for them when uh, they first got new televisions, uh, video boxes, and everything else. They had like four remotes sitting on the, the thing, and they had a note to themselves to remind them which button to push. And if you got those buttons pushed wrong, oh my! And so my boys come over, and you know how kids work with uh, anything. Just push a button till it works, right? And so they come in, hey, Grandpa, Grandma, oh, they all grab a remote. 
and have one left over, and they all mash a button. And I watch my parents' brains want to blow out of their heads. They're just like, ah! We will never see TV again because you have destroyed all manner of what we know is true. You have to push this button on this remote and this button on this remote and this button on this remote in the right order at the right time, and you hold this remote. We don't even know what it does, but we know it's there because they gave it to us. <laughs> Ursula, am I right? Yeah. <laughs> and then one of the kids goes, oh, that's a big deal. Boom, boom, boom. There it is. Whoa! What happened here? Television came back. It was a minor miracle. We almost missed it. They put a rock there and called it Bethel because God had shown up that day. Now, I laughed at that for the longest time, and now I have stuff I don't even know. We have our remote stuffed up in the wine bar because one's for Amazon Fire, one's for the sound bar, one's for the TV, but it's not the one that came with direct TV, and I keep them there so I won't touch them and no one else will touch them. I turn on my computer, and I don't know what to do with it. And worse yet, Ursula has Windows 10. I have no clue. I don't want to touch it. And when I do, I scream and yell, and Ursula says, just back away from the computer. I can't keep up. I know you watch these wonderful videos on TV, and you're just assuming I'm that good, and I'm the producer, director. <laughs> Actually, you know better than that. But what in the world? It's all flying by. I go into McDonald's. Now we're going to get back to Pastor Ted's fun last week. I go into McDonald's, and I'm expecting some teenager at the front counter who doesn't know how to add or subtract in their head, so they're going to look at the register for forever, but I don't even get to talk to them. I now push it on a kiosk, and I'm expecting one of these days is after I push it in the kiosk, there's going to be this little conveyor belt that's going to spit it out at me, and I won't have anybody yell at because there's nobody in the back cooking. And your kids are saying, but mom and dad, I can't get a job. And you're going to say, go to McDonald's. I can't be a robot, mom or dad. You're going to send your kids off to college, and you're going to be saying, what's the best job to get, and what's the best way to go, or go to technical school. And you're going to say, I'm not sure which direction to take because these things have been taken over by this. This has been taken over by this. Would you take off your VR glasses so we can talk about this? How can I be born for this time? How is it possible that I have anything to bring to these moments when I half the time don't even know what we're talking about? I've learned to do this. This works really well, by the way. If you're confused, just go like this. And then come up with a question that redirects it off of what you don't know. So what do you think about the Super Bowl game, you know? <laughs> Folks, you were born for this time. Whether you are the youngest of the young and understand everything that's going on, whether you are the oldest of the old and you can't figure out how to get your car turned on, whether you are people who are trying to wrestle with how to help your children uh, navigate this world, you were born for this time. 
and you were made for this moment because God needs us all as we are making if you will this transition to bring that which is most meaningful into a place where people are most in chaos the Bible is full of transition just think back to the children of Israel as they were taken out of Egypt everything changed for them they go into the desert for 40 years you might ask yourself why 40 years it's because God had to bring them through transition we say just glibly about Galatians where it says God brought his son into the world at the right time in the fullness of time why because the world was in transition Jesus says to his disciples, I'm with you all the time. Now go into a world that's in transition. The courage of the church is to arrive when the world is in transition, to hold the pieces and the heart of God before a people so that as they deal with change and chaos and hurt that we bring the very solid presence of God who's not afraid of transition a God who is working through transition well if you don't believe it let me tell you why this is about you because God knew you he knew you before you were born the amazing gift of God is to know you before you step place into, or if you will, were formed in your own mother's womb. God knew you. He knew you would be living through these days and times. He knew that you were specifically wired in the ways that you are wired, that God himself loved you as he made you, saw you for who you are. Your baptism, we have a baptism at the late service. Some of you know the Cullens, so doing it today, later for them. Now I know we look at baptism and we go, okay, this cool thing's going on. We baptize the baby, power of the word, connect it to the water, identifying them as one of God's own children. But there's more than that going on because baptism is this. It's being set aside. Not set aside just to hold until confirmation shows up, it's not some sort of magical thing just to kind of cover and say, well, we just want to know that they're in God's holy hands, although that is true. But being set aside for something. And what God said to Jeremiah in the first ten, uh, ten verses of uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, he says, because I am sending you. Shalach is the Hebrew there. It's the same word as apostle in the New Testament would be put in there in the Greek translation that we are apostolic in the sense we are being sent. In your baptism, you're being called out and you're being sent. Parents, when you bring your children, when you've been here and had your children here, you were bringing them to care for them and prepare them to be sent out. And you know what? God knows our deficiencies. He knows what we are not. And God uses us 
in those deficiencies, which is why, of course, we need the body of Christ, because what strength you bring is what I don't have, and what you have, I don't have, and what I have, you may not have. But God knows us and sends us out. And what we forget is we get so hung up on our own deficiencies, we believe that we can't be used. We're waiting on someone else to step in. We don't look at what the, what's going on around us that God has placed us into because he called us out to live our lives as sent ones. And the amazing thing is we forget how much power we have when Jesus says, all power in heaven and earth is given to me. Therefore, as you are going, as you are sent, make disciples. We forget about the power of God that is at work. We lose sight of the little things that God levers into so much. Really, the Christmas account for us of a baby being born in a manger should remind us that God can take so little and do so much. The story of Paul, who was Saul, who was actually going in a negative that God could do so much with so little. When we are baptizing any time here, adults, children, to realize that that person like us, that God can take and do so much. So I guess I'm trying to figure out what's the there for? What is the thing that you and I need to learn? So if you, you're off in your you know, land, you're trying to figure out what you're serving at halftime or what happens if the food runs out or anything around, just come join me back right now. Come here. And let's think about the therefore of what this means. You need to become something. Now this word you may go, huh? But what we call you is you need to become an exegete. Okay. Pastor Ted's an exegete. You're an exegete. What's an exegete? An exegete, if you go to the seminary, uh, usually focuses on this, that you learn the original languages, you, you study the Word, you bring all the pieces and sources together, and you draw out of the Word of God what the meaning of that is so that it may be applied. But you are an exegete. Two ways. One is the same way. What, how and when and where is God speaking today? And we need to be so fully engaged with that. We need to be an exegete. If there's no other time uh, from the past where we depend on someone else to tell us what God says, we need to be listening carefully but going and digging more deeply ourselves what is God saying. But we also need to do this. We need to exegete the culture. We need to become better at asking ourselves what is happening here. We need to understand that culture. We always exegete the world, culture, and transitioning generations. So, for example, the new generation which entered the Promised Land, transition that occurred for 40 years. Moses, before he sent the people in, and Joshua as they went in, he needed to be an exegete of the culture by which they were going into and with. So if you're older, you can't rest on your laurels. Read, read, get into books, books not just about the Bible, but books about our culture, your legacy, your loved ones are counting on you. Read books, figure out podcasting, figure out what it says or how to work those. Listen in on what's being said. Don't push it away and say, not for me or I'm too old. 
Use your time for the right things. It's awful easy when we get our age and up to be able to do what we want to do things right, but we're not looking at the right things. Discuss with your contemporaries. Take time with your children. Discuss with your grandchildren. What do you see happening? What do they see happening? There's something about this time by which they need you to be in conversation about God being an exegete of the Word, but also an exegete of the time of now. Got a phone call or a text yesterday from my dad, and he said, hey, I need help. I'm doing a Bible study tomorrow. I want to know more about Gen X. Okay, because he's talking about right now the priesthood of all believers, and he wants to, in his Bible class, be able to exegete what's happening in this generation. Good for an 86-year-old man to do. Challenge those in our lives to be prepared. You know, there's not just simply educate yourselves for a specific job, but be prepared for a changing now and future. If you're parenting children, teenagers or little ones, become historians of the past, experts of the present and aware of the future. Challenge them based on what is coming and not what you experienced alone. Don't put your head in a hole and then hope for the best. Three C's we talk about here. So you're investing in worship, coming together, taking the Word of God as it is presented to us in the midst of our culture as well as doing that at home. Surround yourself with people of like mind who will challenge you and see the areas of your life of influence and whom you influence as well. Don't drop your kids off into areas of influence and simply hope for the best if you hand them a phone, a smartwatch, or anything else and just hope it comes out. Be intentional. Embrace what's around us, but don't let it take over their minds and lives. Kids, youth, don't skate by. Technology is great, but don't let it drive you. Drive it. Ask your parents for spiritual and life skills. Seek places that help you grow and challenge you. Be aware that your world is not simple, but seek God who simply will help us in the chaos. You are chosen, set apart for something to come. Jesus brought into this world at just the right time to bring you and I life, but life that's not static, life that not only looks backwards, but life that engages the present and the future. If there's something we can do as a community of faith, as families, as people, it is to reach out and bring God into every situation. Be an exegete. Bring out the Word of God. Understand our culture and bring the best of what God has, the best of what God has done, the best of the cross for today and looking forward. We bow our heads in prayer. Father, we give thanks to you as we think through this and as we consider why we were made for this time. And this time may confuse us. This time might be running us over, and yet we realize that this is the time for us to stand up, understand, be exegetes, and dive directly into the culture and dive directly into your word. Help us to live out and be, whether we be children, parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, 
husbands, wives, help us to see you. You brought us to this place and time now to share the good news of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. We